Um, well, good morning. Uh, I'm Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here. If I didn't get a chance to say hi to you on the way in, please stop me on the way out. Um, uh, man, going through these parables is incredible. It's, it's been fun already, and I'm only through two. I mean, I guess we did a, a one during our small group this week, right? Um, but it's great because, you know, Jesus is, is compacting these things. And if you guys weren't here last week, I spent a little bit of time. And I'd encourage you to go back and check out the YouTube. And, and the first part of last week was, like, how do we, how do we read parables faithfully? Because it's really easy to kind of interpret them in, in kind of side words, ways. Sidewards? That's not a word, I don't think. Sideways ways? Uh, anyway, it, it's easy to like uh, put, put different interpretations on it, right? And like, it's called like allegorizing it. You try to pick apart all the different pieces and, and assign everybody something, and, and it might be carrying it further than what Jesus intended. And so um, I would just encourage all of you as you're doing this in your small groups and as you're kind of processing these things this morning, like I try, to, I try to filter that stuff out, right, and go, like, genuinely, like, this is what I believe Christ is saying here, and, um, you know, this one in particular that we're going to study this morning, there's some people that, that take this down a, a, a different path, and um, I just don't see it. Um, I, read, I read commentary. It's not just my own, right? Like, I'm reading commentary, and I'm trying to digest, like, what, what people, um, how people interpret it and, and, and the like, and so... I would just encourage you, we've got those orange cards over there on the desk. If you're like, what about this? Or I heard this parable is about this or, or you know, whatever. Like, explain yourself, right? I would be happy to uh, because I, I think you can get a little, um, well, it, it's easy to get carried away. And, it, and to take the metaphor too far, right? Because metaphors break down eventually. And so, and we'll see that as well this morning in the parable. We're going to be in Luke chapter 14. We'll have verses on the screen. Uh, you can open up your, your uh, Bible app uh, or whatever you got. And by the way, I know I defamed the Bible app, the version Bible app, last couple weeks. But I don't know if my app was just wrong or what happened. Anyway, Melissa's like, it's totally fine. I don't know what you're talking about. And it, it fixed itself. It was a glitch. It fixed the, uh, we fixed the glitch. Um, all right. So this morning, Jesus gives this parable, and, and this parable has a parallel in Matthew 22. We're going to spend our time in Luke 14.1, frankly, because it's easier. And you can go read Matthew 22, and you'll understand why. Um, Matthew 22 is, like, probably one of the most difficult parables of interpretation and understanding. So, so we're, and, it, and it's, got a, it's, it's got, like, three different sermons basically all packed into one. So I stuck with Luke 14, and so that's the one. You guys voted on this one, um, and so I'm just going to assume that that's the one that you wanted. Um, and so, uh, what Jesus does in this is, you know, right, so we talked about the parable of the sowers, or the parable of the sower, and the parable of the soils, right, and like, how we, our hearts, receive God's word, right? Um, it, the, God's word can land on the path, it can land in rocky ground, it can land amongst thorns, um, or it can land in good soil, right? Um, this is kind of like a, a, a great, like, kind of secondary, like, hey, here's the follow-up. And what, what Jesus is going to spend his time on this morning is basically like um, he talks about our expectations and really presumption. Um, because what he's going to talk to, he's, he's going to be at a dinner party, and he's going to talk about really the heart attitude of do you assume that you, you have a seat in heaven? 
Do you assume that you have a seat at the table with God's wedding feast? This great banquet that's going to happen. Like, do you presume upon that? And I'm not talking about, like, are you assured of your salvation? That's not the question. The question is, is do you presume upon God's grace? And this is what Jesus uh, rolls in on. And, and what we're going to see is that those who were presuming are not. And those who are not presuming, it's an unexpected surprise. And that's the gospel. That's why it's good news. Um, and so we're going to walk through that um, this morning. First, let me, let me pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We ask that you'd give us clarity as we walk through your word. That you would cause our minds to, to stay attentive, cause our hearts to be softened, and help us to understand what you have for us this morning. We pray that your Holy Spirit would convict us and shape us and transform us into the image of your Son. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So Luke 14.1 sets the stage for this. It says, one Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. So this is the context. So Jesus is at a dinner party. Um, one of the rulers of the Pharisees, we don't know who else was there. Um, Matthew's version of this talks about there was a man with dropsy, which was like edema, it sounds like, uh, based on the research that I did, um, like just swelling, basically. Uh, but like lethal swelling, like it's a big deal. Um, and so there's just this grouping of, of people that are there. And what we, what we read is there's, there's kind of these like, um, there's actually kind of this, Luke puts these like kind of sequentially together all at this same dinner party. Um, and the first thing that, that Jesus says, we're not going to spend time on the previous two, but it kind of sets the stage. And he says, hey, you know, when you have a dinner party, um, Invite, um, well, when you have a dinner party, don't presume to take the seat of honor. Like, take a, take a seat on the side walls, right? Let the host say, no, come here. Get, let me sit here, right? Like, instead of sitting there, and he goes, hey, bro, like, <laughs> there's somebody else that's got that seat, right? And so Jesus says, like, there's this, uh, this kind of element of humility. Like, when you walk into this dinner party, don't think that you're, you're the one that everybody's been waiting for, right? And then he rolls in and he says, and, and actually when you, when you throw a dinner party, um, invite the lame and the crippled and the poor. Invite the people that, that you wouldn't normally invite. And he says the reason you should invite them is because they can't invite you back. They're not going to throw a dinner party. And so there's, this, there's these couple kind of ethical like, how, how does God see the world, right, and this valuation, and, and, and maybe that alone, and I'd encourage you to go back and read it, maybe that alone is um, probably convicting for us, right? Because when we have dinner parties, we usually invite people that are just like us, right? And it's easy to have conversation, and their life stage is the same, and, um, you know, so I, I'll leave that there. That's not the point of the sermon, but um, Jesus speaks about it. And so what happens at the end, after he gives these kind of two, like, little um, other parables, there's this unnamed gentleman at the table, and I think this is pretty funny, and I, I read a couple commentaries on this, and, and he says in Luke 14, 15, he, he has a quote in the Bible, which is more than I can say for myself, and none of you have a quote in the Bible, so, you know, whatever, but, so this guy 
is at the table and Jesus is there. And it says that when one of those, this is verse 15, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. So Jesus takes that and then just rolls with it, right? And he goes, let's talk about who's going to be eating bread at the kingdom of God. Let's talk about that. But this guy has this, and, and their commentators are, differ. Like, was this guy proud when he says this? Haughty, right? Blessed is everyone, right? Like, like he's like, I, I am assured to be there, and we will all be blessed when we're, right? He's in this, he's in this grouping with probably a lot of very religious people, right? And so maybe that's this presumptive thing. I think that's probably what it is because of where Jesus takes this next. And that's what we're going to read in verses 16 through 24. So let's read through the parable, and then we're going to back up and walk through it. All right, Luke chapter 14, verse 16. It says, But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. We're going to walk through this piece by piece as we as we figure this out and try to determine what's going on, right? Some of these characters in this are pretty easy to kind of see. Um, maybe a big group of that characters, right? Like we hope we're in, right? Um, so let's, let's walk through them. So what, what do we have? Um, the host, the man throwing the banquet. That's who? Who do we think that is? Don't work with me here, people. All right, this guy, right? Okay, we're all good with that? I mean, that's pretty, in the context, that's what we're assuming, right? Like, here's God that's throwing this thing, and, and he sends out an invitation. Now, this is a little bit contextual. So back in the day, um, they would send out like a, hey, um, this is when this is going to be, right? Like, mark your calendars. Um, I don't know why they wouldn't just set a time, but apparently, like, it was customary to then send out the, like, okay, now come, right? Like, the day's this day, but we're going to send out a second, like, on that day to tell you exactly when it's all ready. I don't know. That's what the commentators are saying. And so that's why you kind of have this, there's this invitation sent out, and then the servant goes out the day of to go, like, tell them, okay, now everything is ready. And so the servant in this... Um, We'll kind of table that one a little bit. Um, I think it's the prophets. I think it's us. Uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that one. Um, not that we are prophets, but just so we're clear on that. Um, and who does he go to? You, who, who, who do you have, right? The initial many, 
those who got the invite, right? Who opened up their mailbox and got the invite from God. Um, that's where there's a lot of consternation in the, in the uh, interpretation of this. Who's the many? I think we're missing the point if we're trying to figure out what the, what the makeup is of the many. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. Um, I could be wrong, uh, but I don't think that's the point of Jesus' uh, parable here. There's the many. I got invited. And then what does he do? They don't come, right? And then he goes, the other characters are, are those, right? Like the lame, the crippled, the poor, right? And he goes to those. Who, who are they? Well, ultimately, they're ones that end up being saved, right? Who are with God at the banquet. Like, like they end up being saved. Um, what's their characteristic? Infirmities. Like, I, like nothing other than just that they just happen to be not the privileged of society, if you will, right? There was something wrong. There was, there was something going on in, in their lives physically, some sort of ailment. They wouldn't have been like the, the prime um, candidates to come to the banquet. And then, and then what does he do? He goes to the highways and hedges. What a great, like, I was like, man, this should be like a ministry title. I've never heard it before. Highways and hedges. Like, this is like going out. Like, these are the people that are, are not even they're not, they don't have infirmities and are inside the city. Like, these are people that are on the outskirts. Like, they don't even, they're, they're outcasts of society. Frankly, it's probably like homeless people or, or, you know, people that have addictions that just can't assimilate into our normal everyday life. And this is, this, this is that last group of people. And what's defining of them? They too are saved. They too are going to be at the banquet. Okay, so all of a sudden, right, like when Jesus tells this parable, the people who got the invitation are not going to be at the banquet at the end of this. And the people that are going to be there are the ones that have infirmities, that are outcasts of societies, or the ones that just don't even, aren't even a part and can't assimilate into society. Those are the people that are going to be there. So which group do you guys want to be in? <laughs> now, his point is not to say that everybody that's going to be at the banquet has some sort of infirmity, Right? There's no, there's no nationality to any of this. Some, some have gone down the path of Gentiles and Jews and stuff like that. I don't see that in here. There's, there's, there's Jewish people, and then there's Jewish people that are poor, <laughs> right? And there's Jewish people that were certainly outcasts of society. So I don't think that's part of it, right? And so it's kind of got this complete kind of overwrapping, what's your circumstance? What's the difference between these groups? And that's what we're going to spend our time trying to look at this morning. Because it's clear that those second two groups don't have a voice in this parable. They don't say anything. They say nothing. They just, they're just like, <laughs> my lucky day. I guess I get to go to a, a party. I guess I get to go to a banquet. They didn't plan anything. They didn't, they didn't organize anything. They had nothing redeeming to, of them. There's just a banquet that's being held, and they just got invited. They don't think they earned it. All of a sudden, some dude shows up at their door. And he's like, come on, let's rock and roll. Maybe they don't even have a door. <laughs> and those are the people, right, that, that God says, that Jesus says here, are going to be in the banquet. So let's, let's talk a little bit about what this banquet looks like. It's a, it's a promised wedding feast. And if you're, not, if you're not savvy on some of the Old Testament 
imagery of this. This is, this is not new to them. The Pharisees would have totally understood where he was going out with this because it's, it's a promised wedding feast. It's something that had been talked about. This, you know, we normally think of heaven as like clouds and harps, you know, whatever. It's not in the Bible at all, but that's what we think of because of cartoons probably. Um, but what they pictured in the Old Testament was a feast, a banquet. People were welcome to that. Turn over to Isaiah. Oh, actually, sorry. Hang on. So verses 16 and 17. It says, But he said to him, A man once gave a banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent a servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. And so here's God. He's, he's set the table. He's built this wedding banquet. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 25. Now, this is Isaiah, right? Way prior to Jesus. And he's prophesying about what this day is going to look like. And he says, uh, Isaiah chapter 25, verse 6, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations, he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people will, he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. You see the connection? There's, there's this feast. All tears will be wiped away. This is heaven. This is eternal life in the presence of God, like what we read about in the Torah, right? Like, like this is what it is. And so Isaiah is pointing to this, and he goes, it's going to be a feast. That was the imagery they saw. Turn over now, we're going to go to the other side. Revelation chapter 19, verse 9. It says, and the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So what we get is this, in the New Testament, we get this clarity as to what this feast is about. It's a wedding party. It's a wedding party between Christ and the bride, the church. And you can go through, and I can, you know, if you, if you need more, like, go, go Google that. You know, you'll find all sorts of verses that talk about this picture. So the feast that Isaiah's talking about, right, we get, we get this, we open up our aperture, and we see more of it in the New Testament where all of a sudden we go, oh, this feast is a wedding. It's a wedding between Jesus and the church, like believers, followers of Christ. And it's this beautiful thing, and that's why it's called, incidentally, this is why marriages, right, Christ and the church, like this is, this is why husbands are to love their wives as Christ loves the church. It's all part and parcel to the same thing. And so this wedding feast is this beautiful feast of us being completely reconciled and in the presence of God. And so this is the picture. So the Pharisees would have understood that when he talks about this host that's throwing this banquet. And then he makes this call. The host, God, makes this call, and it's come. He says, come. 
says he sends his servants out, or he sends the servant out. And what does it say? He invited many. And he says, come, it's ready. It's ready. The, the places are set, right? The drinks are ready. The drinks are cold. The food's warm. Everything is now ready. Just come. And this, too, is something that we've, we've read about throughout Scripture. It's consistent. If you could turn over to Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, the question is, when, you, when, you're, when we're navigating through this parable, and we've got to keep thinking about these two sides, those who are invited to come and then those who are compelled to come, right? Those who, are, those who are convinced to come, those who are persuaded to come versus those who presumed that they would get an invitation. What does he say? Everybody who's heavy laden, everybody who's looking for rest, not those who have found rest in the things of this world, but those who are looking for rest. Not those who have succeeded in this world and have solved all of its problems and difficulties, but those who haven't succeeded in this world. Those aren't mutually exclusive. It's an attitude of the heart, right? Where's your contentment? What do you find it in? Turn back over to Revelation chapter 27, 22, verse 17. We get this, this call again. It says, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires Take the water of life without price. You see where this call is? Like, this call of God is not like, come if. It's not. There's no if. This is come. Come to God. Come. That's all, that's all it was, right? And we're going to get into these groups of people. And one of the groups of people were like, I would come, but. And the other group was like, yeah, I'll, I'll come. I got nothing I got nothing of value here. Then turn over to John chapter 6 verse 37 This is what Jesus says. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Think about that in context of a, of a banquet or a feast. All who come to me will, will feast and you never have to leave. You'll never leave. This is a promise. This is an eternal promise. That's why we call it eternal life, right? As opposed to eternal death. It's eternal life. And so he says, if you come to me, like we always, we always read this in terms of like, 
you know, I'll never lose my salvation and, and God's got me. And while that's true, it, that's not the, that's not, I don't think entirely the point here. And in, in the context of this banquet, it's this like beautiful, like you come to me. I'm never casting you out. Like I'm never, never kicking you out of my house. It's never time for you to go home because that is your home. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many rooms. That's your home. That's our home. You guys with me on this? Like, like God's going like, come home. But the response to God's call. Somehow, We, we don't respond to it in the same measure of that promise. Because I, I think we all hear that and we're like, that sounds incredible. Sign me up. And then God says, come. And you're like, eh. <laughs> Because when the practicality and the mundane things of this world get, get bogged into our minds and our hearts and our thoughts, and we just get, gets all messed up. Look what he says in, in verse 18 when he talks, when this invite goes out. It says, they all like began to make excuses. That's it. I mean, he calls it what it is. They're just excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field. I need to go out and see it. Can you see it tomorrow? <laughs> I mean, it, these, these excuses are like progressively, um, progressively maybe have more weight and more significant, more, more like, credibility to them, right? The first one's like, I'm lacing my shoes. I'm relacing my shoes, right? Or whatever, right? Like, I can't go out tonight. I'm sorry. I've got to unclog a drain, right? And you're like, wow, okay. And so the first guy's like, I, I bought a field. I need to go look at it. Okay. All right. The next guy says, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Okay, well, you know, if you just bought them, you know, maybe, like, maybe if they trip or something that night, and you don't get to examine them until the next day, then it's like, well, did you give me this lame oxen, or, like, or did it happen since I've had it? So maybe, maybe there's some justifiable reason, right? You'd be like, I, I'm taking possession of the house. I have to go there, because if somebody breaks in, like, insurance, like, there's some practical stuff, and you're like, okay, well, that seems like there's some valid merit to it. And the last one, I mean, he's like, I just got married. <laughs> can, you, can you give me a day? I can't, I can't go to your banquet. I can't go to your party. I, I just, I literally just got married. You go, man, this banquet holder guy seems pretty strict. Like, why, don't, why doesn't he understand that I just got married? This is a big deal. Isn't it? The irony of the last one is that our marriages here are only a reflection of the real marriage <laughs> between Christ and the church, right? And so God like, probably looks at that and he's like, you're, yes, your marriage is important. But this banquet, this, this wedding feast, this real permanent marriage is so much more. But it doesn't matter. There's, there are excuses, right? And we're good at making excuses, and they're not lies. So we feel good about it. Who, who, has, who has had an invitation to something, 
Okay, raise your hand. Who has had an invitation to something and you found something that conflicted with it? Come on now. You know you all have. You found something that conflicted with it. Yeah. Right? Like, like there's this, we're good at doing this. We get better at doing this as we get older. We're really good at doing this. And, and we can find really justifiable things. I mean, honestly, <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, if you invite me over to your house and I said, I'm sorry, I'd love to, but I'm behind on my sermon prep this week, what, what, would you be like, well, that seems pretty valid. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to be the one that's a result of no sermon on Sunday. Or what if I said, ah, man, I'd love to, I, really busy week, I really need to spend some time with my family. Right? Like, we're good at doing these things. And some of them are like trump cards. Like, you just, you just can't, you, you can't, you can't fight back, right? Like, if somebody was like, well, I'd love to, except I was going to go see this movie. You're like, bro, like, come, come hang out with me instead of going and seeing a movie. Like, we you can go see a movie later. Right? Like, those are arguable. But there's some, and we get better at this. Like, here's a trump card. Like, there's nothing they can say back. I'm going to text them real quick, and uh, done. And this is what's going on. So what does that say, though? This communicates a relationship, doesn't it? If, if that relationship was like, how about this? If, um, like when you, were, when you were dating before you were married, right? If that person said, hey, you know, if you want to go out or whatever, you'd be like, there is nothing, <laughs> right, that is going to keep me from going on a date with my girlfriend. Because you're like, that's all that I'm spending my time on, right? That's all I'm thinking about, right? Like, it all has to do with the relationship. And so the question is, is what, was the, what was their relationship with God? What was their relationship with this guy throwing the banquet? It sounds great. I'm sure it's going to be great, great wine, great, great food. I'm so looking forward to it. But I just can't because there's something more important. It communicates something. And in fact, we read this last week. Turn over to Mark chapter 4. Verse 18. What did he say in the, in the parable of the, the sower, one of the soils? It says, and others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. You see the connection there? Jesus is going like, like you're, just, you're busy with other things. Right? Don't, don't stick on this. In this context, right, there's a metaphor. So we're taking this, this metaphor of this banquet and we're applying this into, into this heavenly banquet, this salvation. And he goes, listen, some people are just, they just say no. God says come, and they say I'm busy. And we would never write it down on paper. We would never say that. But we do that. We feel that. Don't we? Not all the time. Not all the time, right? I mean, you woke up this morning and you got yourself here, right? You could have rolled over, right? You could have said, you know what? It's not worth my time. I'll go next Sunday. I'm busy. I had a long week. I was up late last night, right? I mean, you could go through all sorts of things. 
or relationships within the church, right? Or relationships outside the church. Or, I mean, any number of things. Whenever we're compelled by God, right? Whenever the Holy Spirit convicts us to say something or do something, we've got an excuse just ready to go. It's just a matter of like pulling it out. We're like, oh, yeah, sorry, here it is. And so there's this, there's this group of people that got the invitation, and they've so taken God's grace and invitation for granted that they're like, eh, nah, not right now. I'll, 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 I'll do my God thing later, but it's fine. I, I'm saved. I got baptized. I, I, you know, I believe in God. It'll be good. I'll get to that later. When, when my life's more stable, when things are calmer, it never happens. But that's what we say. And so there's this presumption, and then, and, then, and then we see this contrast, this unexpected call. Verse 21, so the servant came and reported these things to his master, and the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And so he, he goes, Go. Let's go call these people. Let's go call these people. Bring them in. The, the banquet of God is not for an exclusive group. It's not. And if you're in here and you're thinking, like, I, I'm, I'm outside of this, like, dude, our, our societal structure, sadly, helps, causes people to think that God operates the same way our society does. And, in fact, it's the exact opposite. Our society is so filled with privilege and prestige and, and fitting in and being a part of the in crowd and whatever, right? That, that we, we somehow start thinking that like God thinks that way and that's not true. In fact, this is the exact opposite. You go to a house party of God and it's an eclectic bunch. And that's amazing. Because there's nobody, there's no condition of your life that excludes you from responding to the call of God. None. None. God says, come to everybody. There's no condition except believing that God says, come, and trusting that Jesus is your access, that he is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. That's what he says, John 14, 6. And so the question then is, is, what's going on like what why these people that are like hesitant to come like what's going on because they they just take this this overlay of society and they start to think like god doesn't want me and we gotta read this over and over and see that that is not the case at all in fact matthew's gospel Right? In, in Matthew chapter 22, you can go back and read that. But it's pretty cool because he actually tells him to go collect from the city the good and the bad. It's pretty cool. The good and the bad. Well, I thought you had to be good to get invited to the banquet. No. No, that's not it either. God says, come. That's it. This is why this is good news, right? There's nothing you got to do. You don't have to have some sort of history of perseverance or some history of faithfulness to God or, or you know, some, some sort of 
fidelity to him or some regimen of obedience. No, those things are going to come because God is going to make them come in your life. The fruit of the Holy Spirit will happen. But that's not the requirement in order for you to be saved. He says, come, just come. And then he goes to the second group. This is so cool, right? Because in verse 22, it says, And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done. There's still room. The master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. God is so intent with having a full party, right? Like, like my banquet table is going to be filled. Go out. Go, go even further. Don't just stay inside the city. Go out and dra- like compel people to come in. Okay, now, that word compel does not mean against their will. I, I, I will I'll just say that in, in this context right here, it, it doesn't. In fact, most of the time it's used in, in the sense of persuasion, like they were persuaded to come. And, and you can go do a, do a word set, go to blueletterbible.org and type in, go to this verse. If you don't know any of this stuff, like I'd love to show you. It's super easy to find this. And you just go, where else is that word used? And it goes, here's how the word's used. And you just read each one. You're like, yeah, that seems like it's persuasion in this context, okay? And so what's the point? He goes, no, go out to the outskirts and be like, hey, why aren't, you want to come to the banquet? No, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not part of society. I'm not, I don't fit in. He doesn't, he doesn't want me there. He goes, yeah, he does. He said, come. He, he told me to go get everybody. There's, there's still room. He told me to get everybody. All right, if you say so, I guess, I guess I'll go. That's grace. Undeserved merit. You, you didn't deserve an invitation. And that's the point. That's the point of the parable. None of us deserved an invitation to God. We, we deserve what our rebellion has gotten us, which is damnation. That's what we deserve. But, it, but for Christ, who took our sins, who took on the punishment, who rescued us, who gave us his righteousness, he goes, here, you're good. Come to the banquet. I've made everything ready. I've prepared everything. Just come. And then at the very end, we get this ominous ending. He says, for I tell you, verse 24, none of those men who were invited shall taste my death. That's tough. Because these are the people who thought they were going to be at the banquet. They took the banquet invitation for granted. Right? There'll be another banquet. And the host will never invite them again. That's what he says. They'll never taste my banquet. Because they don't want me. Man, I hope that's not you. I hope that's not me. This is when we really need to check ourselves. Do we presume that we've got an invitation? Do we presume upon God's grace and his kindness and his forbearance and, and just go, well, you know, I'll be fine. I go to church read my Bible every once in a while. 
Or does, or does God want us so enthralled by the invitation, so enthralled by the words, come, that we're excited, that we're, that we're just joyous, and, we're like, and we just leave everything behind. We're like, let's go. Where are we going? He's like, just follow me. I don't know. I mean, I know. You don't know. But it's going to be great. That's what God calls us to. Not just in heaven, right? But in this life. He says, come, follow me. Follow me and you're going to have joy and peace and contentment. You go, yeah, but I, I've got a lot of contentment here. If I leave this, then I'm not going to have any contentment. He goes, would you just come? Just trust me. Just trust me. That's why we say it's by faith. That's why it's the gospel. There's nothing you got to do except come. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 55. Is come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves with rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear, let your soul know. That's the creator of the universe. Speaking directly to us. <laughs> right? I mean doesn't get any clearer than that. Why do you labor for things that don't satisfy you? It's so easy for God to see that, right? It's like, yeah, you curb your appetite, but you're going to be hungry again. It's not going to satisfy you. Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. There's spiritual food. It's a beautiful invitation, and it's to everyone. May we not be of the first that presume upon God's grace and expect him to hold a seat for us. But let us, in relationship with him, be so excited to be in his presence that we will leave everything behind to be with him.